platform, but low replacement is our fertility rate. I think it's like 1.7. You need to be at like 2.2 or higher to ensure that like your civilization continues. And for people who, you know, to dive into that, for every two people have one kid, that's not good enough because they're both going to die. So if everyone keeps that up, they're going to. So you need to have more than two kids on average, and we are not doing that. I'm Miriam Hoffman, a full-time college student living in Carbondale, Illinois, and you're listening to the Vance Crow Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today, we talk with a guy that plays chess, was a heavyweight boxer, goes around and gives talks, and uh, grew up in the projects. His name is Ed Lattimore, and I encountered him because he talks all about stoicism and writing, and uh, he's just a really interesting character. So we sat down and talked about some of his theories about what growing up in the projects did for him and uh, how he got into boxing, how the underworld of boxing works to make money, promoters and all that stuff. And then we get into topics like red pills and why men in our country are being unfairly having the, the floor tilted against them. This is a little bit edgy of a conversation, may not, if you have young children around, want to have them listen to it. We don't talk in graphic detail, but sex is mentioned, and uh, I think it's a pretty fun and interesting conversation, so you should definitely uh, hang around. This is going to be a good one. One of the things I mentioned in the last podcast is that I'm putting together some of the classes uh, that help people become a tangibly better speaker, and I'm going to be publishing those. There's two ways that you can get involved. One, if you'd like to be one of the people that I use as my test case, the group of people that I show my first draft of my classes to, um, then you can join the Articulate Ventures Network and actually I'll give you direct feedback, stuff that normally clients pay me um, to do. I actually use this group to help me hammer on my ideas. Or you may just wanna wait until the classes come out. They'll be starting to come out in the next two to four weeks. And there'll be everything from how to introduce yourself in a semi-formal situation so that people are interested and want to learn more about your business and how you work, or negotiations, how to make it so you can create win-win situations and become far more comfortable with conflict. Next month, I'm going to be working on a class about how to explain your research in a way that makes people want to listen to it and understand it. And I'm looking for a few people inside of the network to help me work out some of these ideas. So we'll be asking you to give a talk and uh, then giving you feedback on what you can do to get better. And I'll give a little bit of a lesson. If these are things you're interested in, either go to network.articulate.ventures to sign up to become a member of the network or sign up for the website, sign up for emails where uh, we'll let you know as these classes come out. And you can do that by going to vancecrow.com slash podcast. And now, without further ado, on to my man, Ed Lattimore. Ed Lattimore, welcome to the podcast. Hey, man, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a good time. I'm sure we're going to end up talking about some really cool stuff since we had to cut our conversation short to get the podcast started right now on time. So I uh, I was watching some of your videos and you're unique in that uh, you're very forward about talking about how you came from uh, the projects and you made a very clear distinction between the projects and the ghetto. And I think just for our audience, we can get into where you're at now, a chess master, former heavyweight boxer, um, but you started out in the projects. What in the world was that like? Why were you there? And how did you get out? <laughs> Why was I there? I, you know, just strolling around, wandered into the projects, never got out. Uh, no, I was born there. I was my, you know, I'm a product of what we consider, I guess, you know, a single mom. Like I knew my dad, but I, I mean, to say he had a hand in raising me is, is just inaccurate and really does a disservice to, to my mom. But he was not a ghost. Like, you know, I wasn't a bastard in that sense. So uh, I, I guess maybe I spent, you know, I'd see him like four times a week, four times a year, and and really only like one or two days. And then as we got older, I would like go, to, go for the summer. But I think that only happened like once or twice. And at home, though, we lived in, in public housing. Uh, my mom was on welfare for for a while until she got a, a job, but that didn't happen. Full time like job, that didn't happen until I was like I was in high school. And by that point, working on myself, so I didn't really you know need that. But everything you hear about the uh, that that 
environment is is fairly accurate. I had I had the the typical project experience, you know, crackheads, gang members everywhere, of violence. I fought a lot until I got to high school, where I was where I went to a high school across town, and and you see a lot of stuff that you think is normal until you go around people who don't live there. You're like, oh, it's not normal to be getting your ass kicked, like. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I had an experience where I said to a kid, I said, well, how many times you guys been in fights? And they looked at me like, what? I remember I got embarrassed, man. Like my friend came over and my mom whooped my sister's ass, man. I was like, whoa, this is because they were like, like these are upper middle class, middle class people to high school I went to. They don't know anything. I mean, like that, like they've they know this stuff the way like I know about prison through the media. Like they don't know, no, but I'm living it every day, and it's just like okay, whatever. But it, it's it's one of those experiences. The way I describe it is, it's an education you can't pay for, and it's something you can't learn. You can only be taught. But I, I'm very careful to not to not say that. Oh, you know, because of this harsh environment, that's how you make someone amazing like no man i'm i'm a clear case of survivor's bias like for every every one of me there's a bunch of dudes in jail uh still there again we got a girl pregnant early all that stuff i made it out because i had a a a really good combination of some things that i can't control i always i'm always very cognizant of very cognizant and appreciative of those things you know i had a mom who who really she did. She did a lot of stuff wrong, but but somehow she did a lot of things right. She she put some discipline in the house. You know, I, I didn't want to get my ass kicked by my mom, and and that's that's probably important. Uh, she exposed us to books. We 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 had a saying in the house that a book is a treasure, and she always was reading a bunch of like fiction and not the trashy fiction. Like my mom loved like Stephen King and and. Uh, what is his name? James Patterson and Dean Koontz. I'm like, like, I don't read these guys. I just know those names from seeing that on the bookshelf. But that got us in the books and and she you know did her best with what she had. And, and I've I've got to think the natural kind of temperament that I have it, it kept me from from falling into the crowd. I was never really popular. I liked video games <laughs> to begin with. That really helps, you know, being an outcast when you're younger. I really came back to help me. Being ugly helped when I was a kid because, you know, no girls wanted to mess with me, so I never had a chance to get anybody pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, dude, I, I'm, I'm being so serious. Whereas I'm crazy. I had a nickname. It's actually, yeah, well, I had a nickname when I was a kid. I don't know if you remember the Michael Crichton, um, novel they turned into a movie congo the kids called me that because i look like an ape they said and so like that was like the name i had in my housing project people like i'll run into people today and they'll say that and i and and you know now i'm in it now i'm vastly different and i'll just ignore that shit like you gonna call me on my name and i'm 36 years old this ain't this was but but the, that kind of stuff uh goes on but i'm not i'm you know i'm grateful for for uh grateful for it because it's very easy to fall and stay with what you're familiar and, and that, so you ultimately became a heavyweight fighter i mean i even got to see some of your professional rounds where you were really be- beating on some dude <laughs> uh yeah the, the boxing thing is a really because because typically when you have someone with my background, it's like, oh, he must have been boxing to get out of all it. Like, nah, man, I, did, I didn't start fighting until I was 22. And and it's because it's because, I mean, the story I tell people, and this is true, I was dating this girl and and I had at this point been kicked out of college the first time. Oh, it was more like, uh, you know, when you're about to get fired and you go, you can't fire me, I quit. That's really what it was like. Like I left, <laughs> took off and um uh, and I was on this real big anti-college rant. And I would talk about it to anybody that would listen. And this person, though, uh, this girl I was dating, her mother was a college professor of biology. So that didn't go over well. And one day she said to me, she goes, okay, let's pretend that you're right and college is worthless. I was 22. She goes, what have you done for the past five years uh, or past four years other than show up to my house and eat my food? And I was like, 
ouch. And then she threw me out, right? <laughs> but but she threw me out, but it got me thinking. I was like, man, I really don't have any sweat equity in this world and anything. And so uh, this was back when YouTube was getting big. I remember looking at fights and I said, you know what? I can try that. It was either out of the military. because So I went and, and started fighting and I had some early success and just kept building and building. Lucky breaks in, in a few places that just set me up and set me up. I mean, I, wor- I worked extremely hard and took some risk that paid off. But uh, the fighting probably one of the best things to happen to me because you know not just for the discipline aspect you know i wasn't even the most disciplined amateur at least anyhow i was mostly a drunk when i was an amateur that i would fight during fight during right but one of the things that taught me was it really taught me the power of being likable because what you what you have to do as a fighter to survive in the, in the local circuit is you need to convince people to come and spend money to see you do this but you can't you can't be a pushover you got to be likable, but you got to be yourself. You got to be unique and interesting. And ideally, if you do this correctly, if you do your job correctly, they're not even going to really going to. They're not even really going to get a full night of entertainment. You should go in there and eliminate the guy and be done. Sometimes they got to drive over an hour to come see this. So to get somebody to part with 30, 30 minimum most shows, some shows fifty, and do it so you're in a good graces with the promoter to get put on a show as an amateur and both as an amateur and a professional. People got to, they got to support you. So they got to like you. And that really taught me a lot about biz, the, the people aspect of business, which is what you, you know, everyone, you know, anyone can crunch numbers. Hell, a computer can crunch numbers. But what are you doing with the humans? And that really taught me the value of, of, of people in that box. Oh, aspect. that blows my mind because, you know, I was doing jujitsu before COVID and you're right. There are some guys that are like, oh, come to my match, come to my match. And you're like, man, I don't, I don't want to come to your match. And then there's some guys where you're like, I would trip over, you know, large objects. I'd do anything I could to get there because I love that guy. I want to see him win. And if I can't Absolutely. make it, I'm going to watch it online. And and uh, 100%. But it never dawned on me that if you were going to make it as a professional fighter, that being likable or being being somebody people wanted to root for Check is it really out. important. Check it out. Here's what had there, There's a few routes to a career as a professional. This is not so much in the amateurs because there's, there's other routes that don't require um, such charisma uh, in the amateurs. But in the professionals, if you, you, you're, you're matching with guys and you're developing, so you're not fighting good guys, you know, you're moving up, moving up, moving up. And what they have to do, what a promoter has to do in the local show, if you're not signed to a big promoter that has the resources, the TV dates, the money, et cetera, is he's got to cover you, your purse, and your opponent's purse. And the idea is that you sell enough tickets to make that happen. But if you can't do that, then you're in a weird position. You're still, you still can fight, but no one can really afford to put you on as the A side where they're selecting a gun development. So what you do is you get selected as the B side and the B side is a really bad place to be when you're developing because there's only really two outcomes is the B side. Well, okay. Three, but the third one is eh, okay. Uh, One, you go and you start building up a losing record and you start being known as you're, you're going to be known as the can. You're going to be the guy they call to develop other guys. They put money in to, right? Then there's the other path, which is you're actually better than they thought and somehow they missed you and you upset one of the guys. And now they're like, okay, do we sign this guy or not? Because they're not going to sign you outright. What they're going to do is they're going to put you up against another tougher guy. They're going to see how you do. Now, if you make it through that gauntlet, then you're, then you're good. Then you're going to get signed and you're in a different position. But no one gets to that gauntlet. These are smart guys. People don't realize. But the, the same freaking... You know, three, four guys been running boxing for the past 40 years. And they're, they're like Harvard-educated dudes, man. <laughs> like, it is not, you know, Harvard-educated dudes are criminals. You know, Don King, Richard Schaefer, uh, the Finkels. These are like, um, what the hell, I can't even go, Al Heyman. These are like smart guys with connections, and they know this game inside and out. So very rarely is someone surprised. Like when you come in on the B side, you're supposed to be beat. Okay. Now, how badly we get beat determines uh, is determined by the quality of the A side guy that they're bringing up. 
but they know you're supposed to lose. And if you win, you don't really win. The other guy just loses. They, they might lose his contract or something. They're not like, oh, you beat them. We're going to take you in with your 4 and 15 record. Like, no, there's nothing they can do with that. They can't market you. You're like, all right, we'll, we'll call you back when we need another guy. But now you're not going to get as many calls because now you're too dangerous. <laughs> so how was your path, man? That's, uh, that's so much how more was convoluted. My here is the path that is supposed to happen. And this is okay. So I'm, I'm going to tell you a little secret about boxing. Anybody can be professional in boxing. It's not like the other sports where there's a drafting process. All you can do is you just go down and say, I want to fight professional. And you'll become a professional. Or rather, you'll be an amateur until that bell rings. Like you could decide you're going to walk to the ring and then get up there you know, and, and quiver, shit your pants, and decide that's not what you're going to do. Okay. But what the purpose of the amateurs are to do, when you do this, you skip the amateurs. What the amateurs are supposed to do, they're supposed to teach you the game. They're supposed to give you a chance to earn some accolades, maybe win a national title, get on the Olympic team, get a national ranking, do something so that when you turn professional, you have some bargaining chips to get a promoter. Because remember, there are more networks than promoters. So they have their pick of who to work with. There are, more, there are, or rather, there there are uh, fewer networks than promoters. That's what I'm going to say. There's only like like six networks, and and I might be overshooting the show boxing. There are some more promoters, right? But the promoters, there are so few promoters relative to the fighters, and the promoters are how the fighters get on the networks, right? And so they have their choice. So you got to have something to make them go, we want to work with you. We want to work with you. We want to work with you. And you get that by your amateur career. Or are you do a, a hell of a job upsetting a few people as a pro? What I did, I had a great amateur career. I did everything you could do as an amateur, short of go to the Olympics. Um, yeah, right. I didn't, I didn't go to the Olympics. Um, or... or and, and I, that sucks to me, but it happens. But when you do that, when you when you get a national title, when you fight some top guys who go on to have good pro careers or do something else in amateurs, then when when you start when you start talking to a manager, someone that has a someone who these promoters will pick up the phone for, right? Because everybody wants a promoter, so you got to have somebody who's going to pick up the phone. Or, or who has enough clout that we're going to, all right, we'll talk to this guy. I'm fortunate that I lived around, that lived around the Yankello family. Tom Yankello, the trainer. Mark Yankello, uh, the manager. So Mark Yankello had the connections with my amateur record. You know, you got to have the sauce. You got to have something there. And then you go market with a manager. And he was able to get me signed to Rock Nation Sports after my sixth pro fight. But that's not common. Or rather, that that that's what's supposed to happen. But a lot of guys, they're not they're not patient, especially guys who start fighting later. Man, I I've heard guys say, "I don't want to fight for prizes. I want to fight for money." And I'm like, oh, "If only you knew how little money there really was here, uh, you you change your mind." So, how did your career then go? How long did you stay in? I stayed. I was fighting. My last fight was December ah, 16th or 17th, 2006. And that fight ended in a draw, and that was off my first loss, September 23rd, 2016. It's crazy how you remember these dates, because like it, it, I can go look them up whenever I want to on BoxRec. But I was, and then I, was, I took a year off, and I said, I'm going to go finish my, my schooling and just focus on that. Because I had been, like, as a pro, I was, I was in school at the same time and in the army at the same time. I never really got a chance to just train as a pro, which I'm so like, like at the time that felt miserable. I am so happy. I did that though. And I put myself through it now because now I'm, you know, a lot of my life is, is a direct well, an indirect result of, of doing those extra, extra things. But I had my last fight on on, on December 2016, I was slated to come back in 2018 to fight because I took that whole 2017 off, knocked out a bunch of credits and, and you know, almost done with my degree. And I got injured while I was sparring. And I said, what am I doing? Because at this point, an interesting happened thing happened in 2017 and 2018. I figured out how to make money online. And, and my writing started to get popular and people started to find out. And so, so I'm, I'm sitting here. I remember May, May is when I graduated May, May of 20, um, 
18, right? May of 2018 is when I graduated. That was the same month that I got the injury sparring. I was preparing to fight a guy in New Zealand for my comeback fight. Got this injury at the pull out the fight. And I'm like, what should I do? I'll just heal and come back. And my coach calls me and he's like, what are you doing? You just got, cause I just finished my degree in physics, which is like not hard or not easy. I mean, got that, but I'm also making a, uh, I think that was my first, it was my, yeah, it was my first 10,000 uh, plus month and first 10,000 plus week. And so I'm like, okay, well, I probably will go travel or do something. It was a, it was a good time. And, and, you know, because when you fight, you don't really get a chance to, to relax because it, it's it's a weird life. You need to, to be at your best. Anyhow, some guys will just take time off and only show up eight in a gym eight weeks before a fight. Uh, my coach wasn't having that. I wasn't having that. And so you're, you're in there all the time training and being in shape, which is what I would which is what I would have to do. And, you know, this life I live now of, of pretty much being able to get on a plane and go wherever I want or stay in Europe for months at a time. Uh, that would be non-existent. So I, I just waited out and I said, you know what? I got I got a lot out of this game, like uh, probably more than most people get, because I was in an, I was in a great situation as an amateur after after a three year amateur career. I got I got lucky and I ended up in a program that paid me to train for the Olympic trials. And then as a pro, I had a, a you know bit of a rough start financially, but I got signed to Rock Nation and I cleared that up. Plus, I was getting money from the military. I said, okay, I've had a really good run, like 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 a, like a good enough run at least. Let's go do something else. Let's uh, <laughs> see where that goes. I mean, I'm afraid to ask you because you like dropped all these little things in there, like uh, that you studied physics and that you were in the army. But I, like the thing that I really want to get to is I heard you giving a talk that I think uh, a lot of people would be really surprised by. And it was about the uh, how boys are being raised in, in the United States and kind of the uh, red yeah. pilling and how that's important. And so I'm totally down with people looking up your bio, but I think you've got a lot to say about red pill that is going to shock a lot of people. Yeah. So so here's the thing about about the red pill and a lot of the ideas around it. What is the um, red pill for people that don't know? You use a lot okay. of jargon in your talk that I think ah, people yeah. on the inside know what they're talking about, but other <laughs> people wouldn't. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to use the jargon as it's intended and then describe it that way. And, and we may not get to why I need to make that distinction, but we'll see. So red pill is understanding the true nature of intersexual dynamics. Okay. And and the problem today is that a lot of intersexual dynamics is is just being outright mis misfed to us uh, or being lied to in many for many reasons in many ways, and you you kind of see this when you look at some raw numbers. We're, we're below replacement, and people aren't dating anymore. Below replacement is our fertility rate. I think it's like one point seven. You need to be at like two point two or higher to ensure that like your civilization continues and for people who, you know, the dive into that for every two people have one kid, that's not good enough because they're both going to die. So if everyone keeps that up, they're going to, so you need to have more than two kids on average. And we are not doing that. Not only are we not doing that, we're having them later, uh, much later. And, and this is one of the talk focused on uh, society is, you know, it's a pendulum swing some would argue not really, and I'm, I'm starting to shift into the not really camp. We aren't honoring the differences in the men and women. We're treating boys like defective girls, and we're treating girls like they should be exactly the same as guys. And it is it is creating this weird world where no one really uh certainly under 25 and just because of the nature of my life i've had the ability to, to talk and interact with a lot of them uh dating is very different than it was even when i was 25 and i'm 36 so 11 years ago things really changed and the things that changed uh tender uh you know i was a dog man like like i'm telling you, before i met my girl i was a dog i was on every app right and tender happened so fast i never had a tender not because i'm better than tender it just wasn't around yet. 
We've been together for eight years. So it's a quick change. And it changed the dating landscape. You're not talking to people directly anymore, right? You're not walking up and approaching. The whole rite of passage for, for a guy to go get shot down by a girl or have to talk to her father when he calls the house, days is over, man. And on top of that, women are now being encouraged to embrace and flaunt their sexuality without considering, like, perhaps, what, what is that old saying? Don't rip down a fence if you're not exactly sure why I was there in the first place. Well, we don't really understand. People are starting to learn that uh, maybe that's not now what they do with it, uh, whether they decide that this whole culture of of the Me Too movement is, is a, is a I mean, I, and trust me, I'm not one of those guys that say they didn't do it. I say this. You look at Hollywood, and there's a bunch of names. If it was really a witch hunt, right? Like, we can go after all these guys. Everybody would be up there. Nah, there's like a few dudes, and then a bunch of stories come up. So you probably should at least, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. I'm that kind of guy. With that said, you know, one of the things I said when Harvey, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm jumping off on a tangent, but I'll jump back in. Uh, one of the things I said about the whole Harvey Weinstein thing was, well, why don't we talk to the actresses that got the part, Right. <laughs> Why don't we see? Because because look, and no one wants to have that conversation. But that conversation is part of what I'm talking about. Is that we have we have tried to blur our differences to androgyny, but human nature is like uh, I know 50 years been good, but I've been around for millions, evolving, and I'm gonna do what I do. And whenever I got a chance, and we we used to have kind of a system in place to deal with that. And now you're you're crazy for suggesting it. So what I talk to, you know, I can't talk to what it's like to be a woman. At the very least, I have my ideas what I think a woman should be. But who's going to you know, listen to me? Whatever. Right. I'm like, I'm a guy. What I am, though, is a guy. So I can talk to guys and I can speak to their issues and do my part there uh, as far as as far as helping us out, because because I think guys get are getting the short end of the stick, not just directly in terms of some of the legislation and the way medicine is handled. If you watch the speech, I talked about how guys are like four times more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD and custodial, uh, when, when, when parents are awarded custody in a split, uh, women get it like 80 something percent of the time. And the suicide rate for men is, is insane, not just in general, but especially after a breakup. I mean, and, and no one talks about these things because why should they? You know, we're gods. We're toughing up. One of the one of the burdens of masculinity is you don't complain, right? To the point that even if you complain about legitimate stuff, other gods are like, man, shut up. Like we're not, you know, we're not trying to hear that weak stuff. But someone's got to talk about it. And and I'm in a position where no one can call me, you know, weak. You know, my resume is there. I'm clearly, I, I've clearly risen to the challenge many times in my life as a as a man. So I can talk about these things that are important to me. Because ultimately what happens if, if we don't if we don't cater to young men is they grow up to be adults and all of a sudden your daughters don't have a suitable mate or you have a guy that's obsessed with porn and OnlyFans and then promotes that culture to make your daughter go to his money there, okay? Or you have guys that aren't capable of defending themselves against against guys that didn't get that home training because there's always wolves out there, you know. So someone needs to talk to guys, and and that that that's just the direct hit. We're not talking about you know the the porn and the video games. It's huge industry, and it and it's not even so much the video games. The video games are, I don't play them, but I can understand how one gets you know into them. Okay. But the porn is a big deal because porn is a is 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 a is is a, a single missile that breaks off into many. It's a scatter bomb. It, it comes at you and you think, oh, it's just something I'm gonna sneak away and do. But your brain treats it like any other addiction. It's one of those things. Porn is unique in its addiction qualities or, or its use in that unlike other drugs, porn is not a social drug. You can slink away, do it. No one knows you do it for years. You you know you, you ain't never seen a most crackheads smoke together. People use together, right? No guys are, are getting together. Going, Let's go watch some porn together. No, it's the thing that's done in shame. It's in the dark. It ruins relationships because of that. So once again, we're coming back to what happens when no one when no one talks to guys and tries to help them deal with the issues. The society is deemed unimportant. Well, society starts to collapse. 
And it's hard, man. And it's very hard because there's not a lot of credit even given anymore to being a good man. All masculinity is lumped in to toxic. Too. Yeah, I think that there's like um, huge social forces that are going on that have changed the fabric of society. And like you had said, we're not we're not able to talk about these things. And, uh, you know, one of the thoughts that I have about um, human nature is we don't really need soldiers in the same way that we used to. Like once mm -hmm. we had the atomic bomb, then the, the way that society <laughs> started to, to deal with the fact that like it used to be. So we talk about on this podcast, the theory called bare branches theory, which is what happens to a society when you have so many single men that they because they have no chance of getting married they either haven't been able to collect enough resources they haven't been there's there's uh one man that's getting several women and so there's like not a good yep. balance then you start having an unstable society and that unstable society like in 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 ancient times would you'd have banditry you'd have people being robbers you'd have militaries forming and so countries used to go start frivolous wars to go have those soldiers die and then the ones that came back you know they had a selection pressure those are going right. to be the strongest ones the leaders they're going to be integrated back into society but now you don't have that with the atomic bomb like now we've now, got a thing. We've never been able to get rid of this. And we're not dealing with the problem. Bombs, drones, I always tell people, uh, boots in the ground combat between two developed nations that we'll never see it again. We will we'll never see something like World War II again where there, or World War I. Uh, the, the next war, if we have, because I really, I was talking to someone about this today, uh, the the global uh, global economy and telecommunications has really taken the taking the um what's the word i want incentive out of combat not to mention life is very comfortable no one wants to go fight right they talked about this in in uh but when you enlist in basic training the first week you watch a bunch of videos they call it death by powerpoint and one of the things that stood out to me even though this was eight years ago non-action one of the things that stood out to me was that the number of uh stress fractures increased linearly from 1985 on uh, for people who enter basic training. And they raised this point about being in shape and training. But they also correlated that. They called it the Nintendo year. That's the year Nintendo came out. So more kids were, or more kids were being less active. So when they tried to go do something like enlist, they weren't ready to fight. But that bare branches theory, you know what else happens? There, there's two two ways, that, like you said, the war thing. Uh, we, we don't have war anymore. Instead, we got the video games, Call of Duty, porn we, we we have a way to escape but some guys that ain't good enough and you know what you get you get the alex manassians you get the guy that just did colorado you get the guy who was in uh i can't remember his name but but shot out virginia tech you get the uh uh who else was motivated the the um the guy down in uh the parkland shooter these guys are motivated uh, a lot of times by lost love anders luberson uh, i uh, i hope i said his name right the guy in europe who flew that plane are you saying these people are motivated by lost love is that what you just they said? they have mentioned it that, that it's part of the incel movement guys that can't get laid anymore i mean it, it's a serious problem and elliot like, uh, roger had a whole manifesto about it so there's so Society, and I don't know if they're ever going to get to talking about it. They probably won't because because it'll it'll be something else other than the obvious. Just like you know, <laughs> um, I, I'll never forget because because I'm, I'm I'm sober and I'm really big about talking about it. I don't I'm not like an evangelist trying to you know stop drinking. But someone wants to talk to me about it, I'm telling what I can. Got a lot of articles on my website about it. I wrote a book about it. And when I was researching a section for my book, I called it the drunk elephant in the living room. I didn't include it because I didn't want people to be distracted by this point. But one of the stories I found, they were the, the people on Stanford's campus, they were dealing with another uh, sexual assault. And turns out there was alcohol involved. And in most of these assaults, alcohol was involved to the point where I, I crunched numbers based on some data that, that was that's out there on a number of sexual assaults reported and, and the percentage who admit the drinking and surveys. And, and what I roughly came up with in my rough statistics math, and I'm not bad at math. I'm good enough to get a physics degree. So I know there's some rigor here. Uh, if you removed alcohol from the equation, you would eliminate about 95% of all sexual assaults. But what do they focus on when they talk about the sexual assaults? They talk about tell boys not to do it. They don't mention 
that that most of these things that are occurring are happening uh, when when both parties are ingesting a substance that is proven to in girls totally ruin their ability to read signs and guys and the, it actually does it both we, we you can't read signs about what's going on so she may be thinking one thing but her body language is presenting another and he's misinterpreting it he and and no one knows and then on top of that you sober up and you feel regret and that's a whole different thing entirely but because we don't want to talk about the actual problem we can't solve it and the actual problem if you look at the numbers is the alcohol involvement but instead, they shift the problem to make it sound like it's it's God's not being trained right issue. And that's just one example. And that's the same thing I think they're going to continue to do when we because when you look at they I mean, these guys have an, um, they had they write manifestos. They talk about what's wrong and no one talks about it. Or when they do, they go, oh, some guys that couldn't get laid. Yada, yada, right. But if it keeps happening to them, what is, is it? I, I, I don't know what the solution is. But it's clear we have a problem and we know what that problem is, which is supposed to help you solve if, if humans uh, approach things logically. But we don't do that often. Yeah, there's something really that happens. It's rather profound when uh, a man and a woman get married or they, they uh, become long term partners is that men end up way lowering their aggression, their the the reckless behaviors that they have, the risk. taking Absolutely. Because you've already done the actions that you needed to to rise up the hierarchy to find a mate, and then you don't need to keep expressing those. But if what we're doing is we're making it so people can't find a mate, or that the social structures are set up that, that is really unlikely, then they're not going to lower those risk-taking behaviors. And then we're going to be like, look at that monster. He's took all these risks or he did these terrible things. Therefore, we should punish all men or then paint them with that brush. And we're really like... We're not looking at what's actually happening and and really like truly the sad thing. I had a uh, commercial sex worker on uh, that goes by Ayella Girl and, and she really talked with a great deal of pity and empathy about the men that, uh, that, that contract her to have sex. And she's saying these people are lonely. These, these people right. aren't like hiring a prostitute because they just love prostitutes. I mean, surely there are some, but there are a lot. The, the only way they can get uh, affection and respect and somebody caring about them is to pay for it because the avenues where they earned it are are not as plentiful as they once were. I think about this all the time. I used to, I, you know, I was one of those guys. I used to say, man, if it was, you guys can't get laid, you know, just, just hire a prostitute. It's not about that. It's not about the sex. The sex is, the sex is a, um, it's quite literally a cherry on top. In, 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 in the best way I could analogy I can make a metaphor. The real thing that guys want, they want they want female validation. They want the affection. They want the companionship. The sex is, you know, that that just comes with it, right? Well, you know, one of the things I, I tell my girl all the time is you got to understand that the I like you. Like, <laughs> I, I'll fall in love with you just by banging you a few times. But I like being around you, and that's why I'm still here. And that's what holds the relationship together. I mean, how you looked is what made me initially start talking to you. But I'm still here because we we have we we've got shared memories now. I can't replace the time, not right. So so there's a real bond that goes on that people are looking for. But they have made our society so counter counter conducive. Are anti-conducive to this to this bond being formed. I, I think it's, it's crazy that like the the number of girls, for example, who think it, it's it's foolish to have kids so early, or to or to be in a relationship. But we we naturally want relationships. It's not to, to have that be removed, or have them only try to consolidate on a few select guys. Which is what usually what happens, right? What we were saying in the in the branches theory, the modern version of that are the guys with you know blue check marks on Instagram or a bunch of money. Uh, it's the modern version of the 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 warlords or, or the lords who would who give have all the these uh, they have a harem, yeah, or harem, yeah. Same difference now. The different the difference now though is that the girls don't get anything out of it except <laughs> I mean nothing. They they just get used up and. Then eventually, uh, some guy will be happy. But they so to put you on the spot a little bit, you've mentioned your girlfriend several times. Eight years you're together. Why not married? Uh, you know what's funny? Why not married? Okay, so this is this is, I'm I'm, 
I almost said proud of myself, but I don't, I don't think most people are going to be like, this is something to be proud of. So when we first started dating, I think it was about two years in, we had the conversation and I said, I don't, I don't think marriage is, is my thing. I'm not interested. If this is a problem, this is probably a good time for you to leave. Okay. And you know, it was, you know, it was kind of depressing or whatever, but it was okay. She, she deals with it because she likes me and I still bring value and I present the argument that like my time here is, is more proof than any ring I could give you or any commitment because I'm still here, right? And I've, we've known people in the eight years we've been together who have gotten married and divorced, right? So, so time in matters because it's easy to dissolve that certificate. And then some more time went on and I was like, all right, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. It's probably, probably around like year five, five and a half, five and a half, year six, because I looked around because that, that was right around the time where I graduated and I was like, I would see stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know, I could really like go on a tear and it'd be a good time for a little while, but they can't cook. They're stupid. Then I have to like, learn stuff about them like, like no like i like i like i know my girlfriend's like buttons like i kind of know what to do she knows mom i noticed she's pressing them out of you know something's up and we need to deal with that and i expect you know she, she's got the right personality for me the odds of finding out again yeah i'd be able to but do i really want to go through all that man i might fucking die tomorrow or something you know um so this year or rather last year we were in Portugal and she's a Portuguese citizen. So she, she wasn't on the clock. I was very much on the clock. I had to leave in six months. Otherwise I'd risk not being back, allowed back in the EU. And I said, you know, this is dumb. We've been together this long. Why am I not married to you? Uh, because it would be a lot easier at this point because we could just stay in Europe. And so actually this, this Christmas I gave her a ring, beautiful emerald ring. And I said, all right, now we just got to decide how to the best way to do this. Uh, I'll probably figure out, you know, because because I hate weddings, like fundamentally just they bug me. But, uh, you know, why do you hate weddings? Wife. This is fascinating. Why? Uh, you know why? Because because it's a lot of attention for something that's already been going on. Right. It's not like back in the old days where it was two families coming together for the first time and then and a couple had had sex and nothing like that. And then, and, and, you know, half your family was meeting her for the first time. You know, now it, it's 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 a holdover from a different time where it meant something different. OK. Now I, I feel weird. One asking people to give up a whole Saturday to come celebrate a relationship that realistically will be at least nine years old by the time it happens, probably maybe a decade. Um, there's that. Two, I hate the attention for it. Like, I don't mind the attention when I've earned it. We were, I was talking to my girl about this. So you'll invite people if you've been boxing, but not to get because married. Because I've earned the, because I've earned the fight. Yeah. That, that's a lot of tra- I did a lot of training for that. This, I just had to, you know, not fuck up. <laughs> pretty much i mean i think that marriages are hard you know like being with somebody so my only pushback on that would be when i got married i really thought it was about me and the woman i was marrying and i i really like had this very modern updated like it's about us and i have come to the realization that it is not that that what it really is is you saying to other people Hey, we want you to be included in on the fact that we have said something that we're not going to leave each other. And we want you to hold us to that. And if we want you to hold us to it, then we might as well have a celebration about it. Yeah. You know what? That That is the last wedding I went to. I went to a friend's wedding uh, about a month ago and, and I almost said no. I, I say no to a lot of wedding invites because I don't like them, but I've been, you know, this, this has been a guy that supported my boxing career and I've known him probably the second or third person I've known longest in my life. And I said, you know, let me go. And, and the, uh, the person who did the ceremony said something very similar to that. And I, remember I actually said to her when I got back and said, you know, my, my mindset's changed a little bit about weddings, but then that led to a whole argument. And then I had to, and, but, but ultimately, no, I, I think, you know, I think, I think we'll get married, but, but what I don't want to do is, uh, I don't want to wait like well, <laughs> because for me, like it's a, I'm, I'm 
I'm practical is all get out to the point where like it's kind of a problem. But I've been reading a lot of Chris Voss and how to negotiate. And and so I was able to like present my case a little better and make her her feel better about it. But for me, I was like, okay, I'm I'm gonna get my my ability to be a resident in Europe out of this without paying for it. Like that's that's what I get for this. Cause normally and I, and I, <laughs> you're a romantic, I see. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, but but at the end of the day, for for me, and this is why I'm I'm fine with saying that. Without without any problem. I say it to her all the time. I want to make it clear. Because at the end of the day, what I've what I've given you outweighs any any you know a certificate or trinket is it's my time and my commitment here. Like and and I enjoy it and I have and I I have a great day every day uh with her. Even when she's in our bad mood, she's 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 fairly quick to I mean, unless I like did something legitimately wrong and, I, and i'm self-aware enough to know like i'm not i'm not a pighead in that sense i know because i i tend to think about that and i think that's one of the reasons why our relationship works so well is because i i put a lot of effort into reading the people around me but also being self-aware so i know if i messed up and i need to have a talk or if she just needs to be ignored and sometimes she just needs to be ignored, but some. But if I really made a mistake and I think about it and I and I, and I, and I go okay, and we, we talk it over. So I I'm I'm just in a I'm I'm in a great great position in this relationship, and I, and I am gonna gonna marry her because be good because you know what else too we just got back from vacation, and everybody kept calling me um Mr. Harrison. I was like God, I'm no like or I call it, I'm I'm instead of her being uh, Miss Lattimore. I'm Mr. Harrison. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is annoying. Like, I remember I was like, fundamentally, because this happened before when we dropped, but this time I was like annoyed by it. I was like, yeah, we're going, we're going to fix this. <laughs> so what I thought you were going to say is, uh, is that the institution of marriage in the U.S. is like really not an even playing field. And the more that I've talked <sighs> with men that have gotten divorced, like for me and my wife, like. I'm certain that we're going to go the distance like it, it, a really horrible hell thing would have to happen for my wife to leave me and I'm not leaving her. But I know a lot of people that have been divorced and the man got taken to the cleaners and is another, now an another another area servant. of that, yeah. that, that. that now Here's what I'll say about that. Uh, I'll say two things. One, no one gets in their car thinking they're going to get into a collision. But you wear that damn seatbelt, right? To me, look, I told her, I said, and once again, no bones about it. I said, we're going to get a prenup because if this doesn't, if this, if this doesn't work out, I don't want to have to seriously sit and debate killing you because, because she was telling me a story about uh, the alimony and the, and the child support combination that uh, her sister's new husband has to pay his ex-wife. It was something like it ended up being like fifteen grand a month, okay, and and he's like in his fifties. So I was like, so I said, I said when she told me, I said, okay, he's over fifty. That means realistically, he ain't gonna like the the odds are not for him getting another twenty five years out of planet just because that's the average life expectancy. He's got enough money where he might be able to get off. That that sounds like an easy expected value problem to just kill her, like. And, I mean, not like with his bare hands, like you gotta hire and do it right, but like. <laughs> and, and so I said to her, I said, "We're going to get a prenup because I don't want to ever have to th- really think about that." And I would think about that because because I'll be damned if if we break up, and the government says I got to pay you and you got another man. Nah, some one of us got to go, and it ain't gonna be me. I am I am very far from uh, that guy that would would, would offer myself. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> but, yeah, I but think no. the thing that the thing that scares me, uh, and not for my own self, but for the people that I know that have gotten divorces, like when there are children involved, and like you said, the the wife gets the children eighty percent of the time because there's still the you know we've done we've made all these other updated beliefs about the egalitarianism of the world and that women and men are equal, <laughs> but when it comes time for the child. Unless the the woman has like a certifiable, like, you have she, definitely she, like she's proven. a crackhead and she comes into the courtroom with the crack pipe. 
Right. Like, and, and then like they'll you be had like, these situations. Right now, or was it? You no, know, it, it, it's crazy. But this is one. This is this is what I say about that. You got to remember something about this whole movement and movements in general. No one fights to a draw. A draw is something they accept. What they really want is to destroy and win. It may not. Now, I'm using malicious language to make a point. But outside of that point, now that I have your attention, when you look at the numbers, women are kicking our ass in every area except one notable one. There's still more male CEOs because and that almost certainly has to do with the continual uninterrupted timeline you have to put in to be a CEO of something. But in terms of graduation rates from high school and college, bachelor's degrees, um, uh, no, I mean, higher level degrees, masters and PhDs, uh, entry level employment. They're ugh, killing us. And, and no one wants to talk about that. It, it, it's no longer a thing about equality. It's about where are we not winning and how can we win there? And where we already are winning, how can we destroy and dominate? And what I mean by the first thing is there's this huge movement to try and push girls, uh, more, more women into the T and the E of STEM, technology and engineering, right? But they're not really interested. And we know this not from any type of science study on our brains or from anecdotals. No, we've got the data from Norway where they have with one of the most egalitarian forces. Like literally, they can do whatever they want. And women just don't go into those fields. They're not interested. But what they're trying to do here is they're trying to push, 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 push. Okay? That's the first area. And then the other one where you can dominate, it's still, I went and spoke at this program. I was very grateful for this program that I was in uh, middle school. And they, they wanted to bring back some of the, um, the alumni to speak to the kids. And I had a woman actually pull me aside and say, before I spoke, it goes, the girls are doing great, but if you can talk to some of the guys or tailor your message towards them, that would be fantastic. And that was the first time I'd ever heard a woman admit that they're they are killing us, and and no, and it's still presented as if it's a man's world. Women spend more money, they buy more. I mean, they 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 they, they have all the consumer power, okay, all the the academic uh, power. If you say something wrong or even remotely off color in a workplace, they have the power to erase you vice versa not so much yeah i i've worked in several environments where like uh because i'm in communications right so there's a lot of women in that field and like the things that women said to me if i said them back to women or if i right. said them as like a joke or i made like women have made jokes about their periods in front of me they've you know made jokes about my looks and i don't what what do i care it doesn't really hurt me or harm me but if you were to switch the polarity, it would be people would, be, would be so be. outraged. Right. And so and this is the thing. Uh, one of the greatest tricks any social movement has ever pulled. And that social movement right now being well, second uh, and now moving in the third wave feminism, not the first wave. You know, they should have the right to vote and work, whatever. But I'm talking about the shit we're dealing with now. The greatest trick they pulled was convincing us that they are losing and so the whole society even other guys no one unless you think about it and you see the numbers they will convince you that the reality is something else and you'll fight for for a thing that, that is not true remember that i don't know if you remember that story that came out on google where they where they ran the numbers about the wage gap and turns out they were paying the women more Right, like this is not. It, it's it's amazing because you're one of the first guys I've been able to like talk to, who who is hearing it, you know, neither either way, but hearing it and is kind of aware of it from a different angle. I think that there's like um, some really interesting nuance that's being lost here because um, you know, just tomorrow I had to cancel a, a client meeting, and it's because I got to take my daughter to work, and it's just the way that it worked out. That's just the way that it is, and like. That's fine because it, you, it like my wife has an important job. I want her to succeed. That's fine. And women do have challenges. Like if you're right. going to try and breastfeed a baby and you want to make it so the baby for the first year of its life is breastfed, the woman has to get up at 3 a.m. and feed that baby. And then if you're expecting her to go to work and still be in top form, like that's a real challenge. Like that's like, and if we do want women in, 
leadership positions that they've earned, not that they've been given because it's some right. HR policy, then you got to make some sort of like, uh, you know, accommodations for that. And before I had a child, I really didn't understand this, but it is, it's, I don't know how you solve this problem, but you certainly don't solve it by shoving it down people's throats because that's what it feels like is going on. It feels what? like people are saying men are all bad. We need like I saw the other day, the other day I was flipping through LinkedIn and uh, a, a place that I used to work at had post after post after post of people standing with their photos like this. I kid you not. And they were all taking a pledge for gender equality. So it is just like post after post of people being like, and I was like, this is bizarre. This is like insane. It's, it's very odd. It's, it's. And it's stripping out all the nuance. It's making it so we aren't having legitimate conversations right. where we're talking about people that do need to breastfeed shouldn't be knocked out of in, in the environment. But you also don't want to promote people just because they have two X chromosomes. But if we can't have this conversation, we're, we're only going to be in that exact situation because, where you were talking about, where we're not going no, for a draw, right. we're going for defeat. Which is which is kind of what you have to do. Because because people are really bad at nuance. And and, and I think some of it's intentional, uh, is in if you simplify an argument to a binary or a digital as opposed to a gradient or analog, then you you force someone to make a decision and there's and if there's only one right decision from a politically correct standpoint uh well then then you win so i think there is some intentionality there but another part of it is that is that that's a very complex argument and there's many moving pieces to it right like the whole idea of of like like i'm a i'm a huge fan or whatever that i don't i don't know the term off the top of my head but um the idea that women should have a fairly low, at least way longer than they have now in the United States, uh, paid time off when they have a child. Maternity right? leave. But, well, uh, it's just maternity leave. I thought it was something else. Yeah, the, the maternity leave should be should be way longer, okay? And and the, a little policy like that, you know, that, that little change does. That little change takes the sting out of having kids earlier having more than one kid so maybe we get above replacement levels okay and <laughs> people start reproducing but but the way it works right now because everything is like a battle and no one can sit down and really have these conversations certainly at least not people that matter who can do something about it then it's one or the other and no one is no one one the other thing i've learned too is that people are really bad at second and third order uh consequences and reactions like, like right there that was that was very easy for me to think okay well if there was a longer maternity leave then you make it more likely that people will have more kids and have them early because no longer it's about choosing career or kids it's both so it's, i'm sure you've heard of the company monsanto yeah, monster the food. I mean, are, are not food, but but the seed. ag company. Yeah, yeah. seeds. So I used to work there, and uh, they they no longer exist. They were uh, purchased. But one of the things that they did, and they actually had a very strong record of of women being in definitely middle management, middle upper management, is that they had on site childcare, and what this enabled moms to do is to bring their kids to work drop them off. And then when they wanted to do things like breastfeed, they could actually stop by and do this. And it had huge implications because people would take dramatic pay cuts, would not, would not do other things because they really wanted to, they wanted to be a professional that yep. was able to get into the regular world, but they didn't want to have to give up everything to make that happen. So they maybe were working in jobs that they didn't love, but the fact mm. that they got to do this made it way better for them. So I, there's definitely ways around it, but but not if it's um, Either if or. we do those binary solutions. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know you know what we're doing here in this this conversation. This is you know because because the the, the counter argument that's often made is, oh, you know, a guy has to sacrifice all this time uh, to get to that position. Why you know if you can't make a sacrifice like not have kids, then you shouldn't be there. And, and we're hearing and we're talking about the negative of that. 
And when you have some kind of middle ground, some kind of solution that satisfies all parties, you tend to end up with a better outcome for everyone. Like like that company, Monsanto, they they ended up they they retained talent, and they probably would court more talent as well, not just retain but attract. And then everyone continues to be the, the, the company doesn't suffer productivity issues and, and more people are like, oh, I can do this. This is good. I can have kids if I want and go work here. But but right now, you know, humanity in general is just just really um, awful at solving we, we, capitalism in and of itself. And I'm not an anti-capitalist guy at all. I, I just see it for what it is and recognize some of the benefits and some of the drawbacks. Um, and that's that's everything. Everything has benefits and drawbacks. But capitalism has taken us very far. I, one would one would even say probably farther than we thought it would take us. Because when you incentivize people for what they do, they tend to do more of it. And if that is progress, they make more progress, et cetera, right? Look at what look at what SpaceX is doing after after we basically killed off dreams of, of, of outer space travel by defunding NASA like 10 years ago. Now you know it's all the rage again. But this capitalism, Elon Musk said, I'm gonna take my money and spend it here. But what it does is that it, it, it makes it because of the two things it mixes, greed and self-interest. It makes it very easy for a person to only see the most profitable solution instead of the most optimal solution. And sometimes that means giving up dollars in the, but to, to have a better overall outcome, a more sustainable one. But, but people don't get it. They don't see it. It's like my, my coach talks all the time about how cheap boxing equipment has got over the years. But the company that, that focused on quality, yeah, they got to charge it more. But but winning, everyone knows what winning gear is. You know, if you got winning gear, you're serious about your craft, and they have no problems. If you got some BS, I won't name any companies, but if you got some BS, the the tears after uh you know freaking fifty rounds on the heavy bag and hit you hard. Well, it's cheap because they're just trying to maximize profit. You'll come back and buy some. Yeah, I think that one of the biggest <laughs> problems we have is when people are evaluating capitalism today, they're forgetting two like really major changes to it. One is regulation. When we got the SEC involved and we started having it where you have to report your earnings as a public company every four, um, every uh, three months, so you got to do it every quarter. Like people then start saying like, look, we're going to lose share price if we don't meet these earnings. Like, so it turned what could have been long-term growth into really short-term yep. thinking. And and like, that's what Bezos did to grow Amazon was he kept coming up and being like, look, our, our, uh, we are not going to keep returning quarter to quarter. It's just not going to look very good. We're not going to have high dividends. Our P and E is going to be not that great, but the, the over time it made it a really valuable thing. But like many, many companies are so focused on what are you doing next quarter that they burn the ships this quarter in order to make it happen. And then the second one is companies are so worried about being sued, rightfully so, for any of these <laughs> challenges, whether it's like discrimination, um, for whether that's gender or race or age or whatever the things are, that they start putting in these really, you know, hardcore bureaucratic things where end, it ends up that corporations operate like the government who yep. is only following regulations. And those two things have made people really suspicious of capitalism when really it's not capitalism. It's the what, whatever you would call that oligarchy or bureaucracy. Yeah, that, that's probably a, that's a, it's a really good point. It's not the thing that is that is changed because capitalism at its core is kind of a human nature thing i want value for whatever i give you right but when you when you start putting a when you start putting a system to that then you then you end up coming up with something else whether it's you know you produce all the value i take it and i don't kill you you know serfdom slavery or something like that or it's you know you produce the value and we we distribute it to the to everyone else even no matter how much you put in some form of socialism or communism uh those are those are all things that that we call it and i think what we have now is is something that, yeah i mean i guess an oligarchy is, is 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 closest the best way to describe it what we have now yeah has has made people like you look at the healthcare system it's made people very angry and distrustful it's like what am i getting right that's what it is it's not valuable you're not getting a return on value anymore 
right? Because because the idea, right? If I spend so many dollars on my college education, right, in this time, my college education is supposed to guarantee me a certain standard of living. That's why I invested in it. It's not supposed to be uh, a bare minimum entry point to a $15 an hour job. That's not what's supposed to happen. But because everyone wanted to go, they just raised the price of it. Well, and everybody wanted to go because HR needed a way to be able to say, how do we make sure we don't get sued for discrimination? Well, we'll say the only way you can get a raise is if you go get a master's degree. Okay, now let's go get a master's degree. And money flows into the university, so they're happy about it. People pay for it. And then the ones that get it get uh, get that higher rage. And so we're watching HR, whose, whose only job is to avoid being sued, yeah. wreck the 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 system that should be the signals that should be sending people to whether they should go back to school or not. Peter Thiel has a great talk about the problem with college, and he says it's like it's like two things that shouldn't exist: an insurance product and a tournament. And in insurance, you're trying to minimize risk, and in a tournament, you're effectively maximizing risk. We don't we don't call it that, but we know that first place takes most of it second place takes a bit less but still the majority and then third down yeah right better luck next time and so you have people that go into it with this insurance mindset this is going to get me the this is going to get me a minimum and then they get out and realize holy shit I'm, I'm in a tournament and i am the same as everyone else and there's no way i can win so I'm going to settle for leftovers, which usually, I mean, I worked at Starbucks once and, and I can't tell you, in fact, I can tell you, I, my friend, myself, and one other person were, we were the only people, people without college degrees or in college when I worked there. Everyone else, I worked with God serving coffee, man, with freaking master's degrees. Like, what are you doing, dude? Like, that's crazy to me. But that's so common. Go to any Starbucks. Most of those kids got degrees now. Because they <laughs> because they 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 tried to play uh play insurance. They tried to be safe and they were safe, but because it ended up being a tournament they were really in trying to maximize, uh, everyone else was taking the exact same strategy, so it became effectively worthless. Amen, man. Well, we could go on and on forever, but uh, our time has run out. This has been a lot of fun. Ed, if people wanted to learn more about uh, your work, your writing help, some of the, the projects you work on, how would they go about doing that? Oh, man, I'm Ed Lattimore every place on the internet. My website is edlattimore.com. My Twitter is Ed Lattimore. My Instagram is Ed Lattimore. My Facebook is Ed Lattimore. You just type that in, and wherever you feel most comfortable in social media interacting, or, or if you want to just shoot me an email, that is how you do it. Well, we'll have to have you back on, man. We'll have a conversation about chess and all sorts of other things, man. But this has been a blast. <laughs> hey, man, I agree. Thank you. <laughs>